2: Suplex retweet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this the latest episode of ESSR feature here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Network. I'm your host this week, Gary Kernahan, and today we're here to talk about heel champions. But before we get started, do check us out on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, and many others. And if you subscribe, not only will you be treated to our feature shows every Tuesday, you'll also get ESSR Central with all the news and goings on in the world of wrestling every Thursday. And at the weekend, you'll get our Saturday Draft Live show, which is always an awful lot of fun. For today's show, I've assembled ESSR's very own heel dream team. So let me introduce you to the panel. He used to be the Big Dog, but now he's the Tribal Chief. It's Alan McLucas. Alan, how are you? I'm good, mate. That's all. You hate me anyway, so this is the best heel for me, <laughs> <laughs> It's the reason I'm hosting it. they're the, very proud to be the ESSR's uh, top heel. <laughs> uh, next, we are joined by a man who loves himself a bit of Adam Cole, baby, but he's more like the one, two, three kid crybaby. It's wow. David Watney.
0: <laughs> wow, wow, that's—I think that's probably the worst insult I've had in quite a while. But wow. you know what? I admit I was a bit of a heel in the early days of this podcast, but I've been humbled enough times to accept—you know—to uh, recognize the error of my ways, and hopefully, I'm on a, a path to redemption finally
2: absolutely absolutely and last but by certainly no means least some people describe her her cash in on Scott McCloud as the biggest heel turn in ESSR history to me it was the biggest face turn in ESSR history she'll never be a heel in my book it's Sarah Grieve
3: oh Gary I oh, love that
2: well you know every word of it's true Sarah
3: yeah, that's made me feel
2: really good. Well, welcome, folks. Really looking forward to this uh, this show, this discussion we're going to have. Like we know that in wrestling, some promotions over the years have been known to be babyface promotions and have a tendency to have had a face champion with all the bad guys coming after them. And then we know there's others that have had heel champions where the the good guys chase chase the chair championship. Either way. At some point along the way, those promotions have had a heel at the top of the card. So for this show, our panel have been looking back over wrestling history to identify the best and the worst heel champions in history. And we'll, we'll have thoughts and discussions about them in the moment. But first, I was keen to take a moment to chat with the panel we've got here for us to delve into a little bit about what makes a great heel champion. Sarah. I start with you your thoughts when you're looking at Heal champions when you've been doing your research for this show tonight what's the sort of qualities what are the things that you love to hate?
3: I mean you've you've just got to really hate everything about them like and they they are good while while they're doing it. I mean you get some heel champions that you're just like eh that's it's not bad um but at the same time it's not horrible and then you get it so that you know you want to see them lo- you do want to see them lose like that's the whole purpose is obviously the good guys versus the bad guys for the good guys to come out on top um, but if they're just that good sometimes you just want more of it um, and you want to see them go on and on and on as long until obviously then you get sick of them and then you actually do want the babyface guy to win but as long as they're captivating and they are making you want to hate them and you feel a little bit guilty for hating them but at the same time you love them as well and you're like i'm very torn i think that's what makes a really good heel champion
2: yeah on the our facebook community page the goat david campbell sarah he commented when we're asking this very question he said you want to you want the heel to lose as much as you want the hero to win. I remember as a kid how distraught I was when I went into school after Ric Flair won that Royal Rumble in 1992. Mm-hmm. I hated him at the time, but <laughs> he, was, he was so good. He was yeah, so good like that. That's
0: why he was known as the dirtiest player in the game, you know, you, and people actually loved him for that moniker as well.
2: Absolutely. In the same group in the same thread, Dave uh, Callum, one of the new members of the of the family here said that the, the uh, sometimes your heel champion just has a face you want to punch I don't know why I thought to that <laughs> question to you, but
0: <laughs> uh, Oh, let's face it you love this adorable mug right? this chiseled jawline, this soft stubble, the receding hairline like. but yeah, it's uh, I'm going off tangent here, but yeah Callum does make a very good point. Sometimes if you just want to look at somebody, it just makes you want to punch them in the face. Like, And I've, there's a couple off the top of my head uh, from watching WWE that makes you think, my God, I just want to slap this guy. But just to sort of follow up from Sarah's point, actually, what really does it for me is a sort of element of realism about it. You know, you think about what makes people angry in the real world. You know, whether you insult someone's family or you make their life a living hell in terms of, you know, their work or social life, I feel like that always plays a really strong element into it because it sort of blurs the line between kayfabe, which is usually a bit over the top and over dramatic, whereas in real life, you know, there can be some things that make you really, really despise somebody. And I think there have been champions where they've really hit the nail on the head with it. And I think it just adds that little extra, little extra oomph. To think, right? I want this guy. To get' his come up and sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There are some heel champions, and Sarah, you touched on this a little bit, and Alan was keen to get your thoughts on this because we touched on this before we started recording uh, a little bit as well. There are some heel champions that are a little bit, uh, as Sarah described it, there's some some champions that have been less than less than exciting, boring. Somebody. I thought Alberto Del Rio was as Dishwater as the champion. I hated Kevin Owens' run as the face of America when he was the US champion. What's, what's your thoughts on, on that, Alan, sometimes when you maybe get the heel champion that's just, just isn't that exciting? It's, it is disappointing because it's something
1: Sarah said years ago, one of our earlier is You know, you you want to see you know, the... The, the face chase the champ, the heel champion, and see if it's something you don't believe in. Like, you what about, do, the bit of element of realism there. It's just like, ah, uh, it's, it's boring. And it's like, like, some of the best heels, like, as like you say, they get under your skin and you just, you want to just punch them, but it's the smugness <laughs> and the arrogance of them that, that makes a really good deal. See, them are just not, and you can just see their tribe. And it's failing epically. It's it, it can be heartbreaking but it is it's just it just really hits the nail on the head I think it's like no just end this. You know, and like it's so just seeing with the uh, EEW like uh, Brandy Woods, mm-hmm. it wasn't working, they just cut it dead, you know, and they just like they seem like this isn't working whereas there's been runs at times where I thought WWE have had a couple of heels as champions, and it wasn't very good, like, for me, I was a big fan of Jack Sparrow, because we the people, mm-hmm. uh, but what WWE did do was actually bring some, a twist it and a fresh it, and for me it worked. when they got Cesaro in,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that turned, and I was like, ah, there was a, a difference, because they've turned somebody who's not a US national into this mentality, and that's where I liked it, whereas before, it, it just sounded like a raging lunatic that nobody could I like you
2: know what, mute, fast forward, and that's that. Whereas when Cesaro came into you, like, actually, I want to listen to what you've been saying now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, you, you're touching on Jack Swagger's an interesting one, Alan, because Jack Swagger's never been a great talker. I think it's fair to say, but he was paired up with Zeb Coulter who was good in the microphone, and we've seen in more recent times Paul Heyman. With uh, Brock Lesnar and Heyman is just sensational on the microphone. So sometimes, it's the the manager's that heat magnet for for the you know the monster. Sometimes the monster baby face. Sorry, the monster heel. Along the way, it's the manager that you really want to see them get their comeuppance in the end. But you've got to get he's got this this backup. Mm. The very opposite law of having that monster is sometimes you know you get the heel uh, the heel champions that you feel you could beat and um, by hook or by crook they somehow manage to to get away from the baby faces. Dave, there's been a few stories like that over the years. I remember Kurt Angle's first run as champion kind of like falling into that category that he just mm. seemed to find a way to get out of it, are there others that sort of spring to mind for you and that sort no. of category champions that you thought you could take? Well, actually, now that you mentioned it, one just did come into my head here and it was
0: when Daniel Bryan won his first World Heavyweight Championship after cashing in Money in the Bank. Like, sure, in the moment it was excellent because, you know, fans felt like he'd earned his dues by that point and he still was a little bit of a face, you know, in, this, in the coming weeks, but by the turn of the new year. You know he was, you know, weaseling his way out of matches. You know whether it was by counter or disqualification, and he still did the yes chant, which at that thing it was it was meant to rile up the crowd and get people annoyed with him essentially for essentially almost what they felt was he was robbing them of him showcasing his talent because you know what he said to himself, I'm world heavyweight champion, I'm going to hold on to this as long as possible. It's just a shame that that reign sort of ended with a, a whimper instead of a bang when he lost it in 18 seconds to Sheamus. So, I mean, it was it was almost... It wasn't like an emphatic victory over an annoying heel champion. It was more just like a, you know, one kick and he's done for. And he's like, right, that's the end of that.
2: Goodness, Dave, you'll be lucky if that line makes air because Kwaku Aji's editing the show later and we know that he, how much he loves that 18-second match. Yeah. That mania. Sarah you mentioned about the heels being so so good earlier on and one of the examples that comes to mind for me is that stone called Steve Austin mm-hmm. whose character as a face was largely the same as the character he started to play in as a as a heel um but he was just so good at it that it got to the point that the fans stopped booing him and started cheating him there must be others that fall into that category we mentioned Ric Flair earlier on they're just so good at the mm-hmm. part they play
3: I mean like one of the current ones that you can even put that under is Britt Baker yeah like because she is technically a heel champion and she still manages to get obviously get over with the DMD thing um, and having Reba technically rebel but I still call her Reba um, and Jamie Hater. but like she's a heel champion and yet at the same time you've rooted for her. Not just obviously to, you know, have the belt taken off a of Karashida. That wasn't even the point. It was the fact that she made a realistic storyline and she's like, No, I'm gonna do this, but i but she's still a heel. Mm-hmm. And the way that she's done that of late has been spectacular. And it's it's gotten to the point that like it's gonna be sad <laughs> whenever there's a baby face that comes along. Like we were we, there was a sort of half thing for Ruby Soho to take the belt off her, but I think that's just more Ruby's a hot free agent, she's mm. obviously just got signed, whereas when you get that baby face that's going to come up through the ranks um, and it's going to actually legitimately challenge Britt Baker, it's going to be that's that's what makes it exciting, but until yeah. then you do still enjoy Britt's run because she's that damn good
2: Absolutely, Absolutely. Alan, we're going to start going into our Picks for that the panel have identified for our best and worst heel champions. Let's let's start with you, mate. Who's who's your first pick for uh, your heel champion?
1: The great one, the corporate champion, The Rock, ninety eight to um, ninety nine. Uh, I thought he was. That was when you realised he went from this borderline main event to a guy, and he was as far as i was concerned. Like, overall, he's bigger than and He is the top dog of it all. And this is what sort of say, him off. Not... Um What I loved about him was, obviously, the Die Rocky Die chants were pre but they came back, and the Rocky Sub chants were so loud. You know, there was times, apparently, when Wall had to be uh, uh, re-edited just so they could actually cut them out when so he got go on to speak. Um, as far well as that, I think he played... The typical heel wealth, the arrogance, the smugness, he had the muscle to back him up, the entire corporation, which at that point had, what, Briscoe, Parson, the two McMahons are Shane and Vince, Stephanie, Bossman, Shamrock, Tess and Kane. I know there was other variations, but at that point that was a big muscle they had, you know, they had the tag team champions, they back him up, they'd come up with things that weren't going right you had Tess who was a supposed up-and-comer there and he's cornered a lot of matches. I think you've got the owner of the company there backing you, you know. And he always did what I think makes a great heel champion. You'd have the matches where it looks like it's going to go against him, he's going to finally drop it, and he wouldn't be caught he, to You yeah, bend the rules or break the rules get there'd be a disqualification and interference which would allow them to do a, you know, a quick roll-up or hit the finisher. You know, they screw finishes. Yeah. And during this period, yes, he did drop the title. Him and Mankin had a fantastic package in the run-up from the Rumble to Mania. Fantastic package where they kept winning the title dropped the title. And it was really interesting. They had a one-on-one, you know. Look, it's the infamous screw job at the Royal Rumble where Mankin said, I quit, which comes out to be shaming man. And there's a yeah. damn good impression. You know what? But I was, what, eleven at the time? it was a very tough paper if you ever watched and I watched it back recently and although I know Shane McMahon is doing the Squealing, you know, to somebody who isn't an avid wrestling fan, it's a really good impression you know, it, it would fool quite a lot of people that that was McFoley. Um and then the fact that he tortured Mick Foley in front of his family you know, at the Rumble with the chair shots and the state of Foley and he handcuffed them. You know, and he just absolutely brutalized them at the Rumble, which I thought was just incredible. How he screwed Stone Cold at the Rumble as well—like that pay-per-view was so critical in this run. Um, how you know he just had influence over so many people. And although a lot of people, some people say the matches didn't have the best matches, I loved all these matches in the run He's His promos—he's the king of the mic. There's nobody, in my pain ever in the history of wrestling on the mic. I mean, his catchphrases are. Uh, you know, the typical vernacular still with people my generation still here used today you know and he just knew how to wind up tens of thousands of people on a one, and half the time he didn't have to speak just the corporate eyebrow would just set on <laughs> but you know three months earlier five months earlier there's a screen phone you see all you know, the signs with the moving bits of cardboard you see the eyebrow moving you know and the, the heat and the signs and the, signs the fans and die Rocky die Rocky sucks you know Austin's going to kill you. I mean, the guy just knew how to rub the crowd up the wrong way. Yes, he did. An inverted like, pre-corporation member, just like, nah, you're shite mate. You're garbage. Just go home. you know. And then he found this new way, you know, and he started to tease it with the nation, when he took over the nation. But that was just the that was just the foreplay, shall we say? You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he went full porno when it came to the corporation, and he just didn't put a foot wrong. And the fact that he helped put Mick Foley over, I know I'm talking about it as a heel, but the fact that what he helped do to end the Monday Night Wars as well, it's so pivotal. And it changed so, so many people's perception of WWE. And as a superstar, now you can see why he's the biggest actor in the world. And I'm really hoping to see him do it as a heel, properly in a movie. I watched him play a villain. And that's mm. why... I Adam's coming out soon, he's a, an anti-hero and it's, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing bits of the corporate rock coming back in this, and I loved corporate rock I mean, I thought he just didn't put a foot wrong from start to finish in this sort of run from Survivor Series to WrestleMania, everything, I mean the WrestleMania 15 match was the highlight of that entire pay-per-view, I know a lot of people are not big fans but I thought it was actually a decent pay-per-view but the fact that Shawn Michaels coming out Stopping Vince, you know, the space, how he, you know, invented the whole rollabout after the stunner because this, because he wanted to try to make Austin laugh. It was just the guy just knew wrestling, he just knew how to play people and push the buttons, and that's what just makes him so amazing. And it's such an incredible
2: heel. Absolutely. Fabulous run that he had, there's no doubt about it, from that Survivor series through to WrestleMania when he dropped the title to, to Austin and there's so many of the boxes that we started off talking about that, that Rock ticks and he uh, demonstrates during this run. One thing that we didn't mention at the start that he absolutely does in this period was was a sensational heel turn at the Survivor Series Tournament and what story they told in that night with uh, the tournament, how we thought Mankind was gonna be the was the chosen one to win it. He was going to be the corporate champion, he was given a soft route to the final. And there were lots of little screwy finishes where it looked like the the boss man mucked up where they threw the nightstick into the ring. Um Shane McMahon is the it turned out to be the crooked referee. Dave, I thought that was WWE F WWE storytelling at its absolute best. Mm-hmm.
0: Like the Attitude Era was just full on anarchy, full on chaos, and the Rock, guys like the Rock and Austin too, along with Vince McMahon, you know, were the focal point of all that. Like, it's not like the the storytelling you get today in sort of modern day WWE or AEW, because sometimes you know people would just accept all out carnage. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if it was a a thirty minute classic or a five star match; they just wanted to see guys just go ham on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you needed, you know, somebody to cut the promos and somebody to really rile people up, especially, and this sort of comes back to what I was saying about, you know, how to, they, they go to different cities and they say different things about their sports teams or their customs, et cetera, just to get a rise out of the people. And that's what uh, triggers the loudest reaction i seem to find. And The Rock was the guy to really pick, nitpick the little things that he knows would rile up the crowd. Uh, he's in ring work, you know. He was that was there to back him up. But what really did it for him was his charisma and his promo delivery. And he knew which buttons to press.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Say that when Alan was uh, was talking about The Rock, here, he talked about the realism that he was able to take into his uh, his promos to justify his, he would turn to justify aligning with McMahon to justify his behaviour. That die Rocky die going back to the the chance from essentially his debut the year before wasn't it when he debuted at Survivor Series '96? Thank you. My timing off. Thank you. Um, you know how important was that? Do you think in what we went on to see in in this run with the Rock?
3: I think it plays such a major importance. um like, I'm not exactly overall familiar um, with it, so obviously I haven't watched the entirety of that actual run um, and seen it like all come together. But I, I would definitely say it's it's a very good description of what you would look for in a heel champion. Obviously, with The Rock being now one of the most loved uh, wrestlers to have ever like you know happen essentially like when you look back it's like one of the most important pieces of history and it sets like the way for like the the aspiring heel champs of what it's like this is what you could be so this is like the pinnacle and like this is what you should strive to be when it comes to making people hate you and doing everything by the book and you're like it's like watching it back you're just like see if half of these guys had like just an ounce of that charisma you would be golden. Absolutely golden.
2: Absolutely. Fabulous shout, Alan. What a, g- a great start, great choice f- uh, for, for heel champions. Sarah, um, we'll stick with you and invite you to share your first pick with us next.
3: Oh, I had so many going around. I was just like, I can pick this person, I can pick this person. But I have went with... <laughs> Mr. Y2J himself in Chris Jericho, um, I think it's primarily the fact that, like, first of all, he's the best in the world at what he does, and he never lets people forget that. I think, like, when you come to Charisma, the man that would always, always be the first to remind people that he was the first ever undisputed champion, that he'd be both The Rock and Stone Cold in the same night! Like, that is, again, what you look for in a heel. I mean, yeah, it was, it was maybe, what, four-month run as that undisputed champion between December and March, right? Mm-hmm. But he made sure that he was the centre of attention. Like, nobody could take that spotlight away from him. And if, if they tried to, it would just open up his mouth. And whatever seems to come out of Chris Jericho's mouth is just pure amazing like it doesn't matter what he does i mean he's he's, over the years he's been able to get like a scarf over and a list over (laughs) right and like just the smallest things that you would never possibly think of and you're like how and i would love to just study his brain to like how he comes like how he's so witty and comes to think of these sort of things so Mm -hmm. when it was just that but he was arrogant he was brash and when you looked at him, you were just like, damn, I want to hate you. But he could back everything up in the ring as well. And you're just like, this makes me want to hate you more because you get champions that are like the cowardly heel. And they're like, no, I can't beat anybody. But Jericho could still beat everyone. And you're like, damn it. And it, it gets, it does, it gets under your skin. I mean, we've seen him in AEW when he was the first ever AWD champion, like he was getting under folk's skin as well, and that's like you know, over ten years plus later that he, he still managed to get under everyone's skin that you just wanted it's like who's gonna be the person to you know beat Chris Jericho and take that title from him. So it it was it was just that, and like even when he needed to, like, even though he could back it up in the ring and he could still beat people the way that he tipped over the scales of being a heel is that he could do the cheating to win when he had to as well Like he was a good fighting champion, yes he may have not wanted to be the fighting champion, he may have not wanted to defend it, but he would always be quick to remind people that he is the best in the world of what he does that he beat the Rock and Stone Cold in the same night, he was the first ever undisputed champion and then just his persona I don't. I, like. Apart from like The Rock, I don't think there's anybody that's ever come through wrestling that has an ounce of the charisma that Chris Jericho just. come, It just. It just seeps from his skin. It just. It is honestly like just pure amazing, and that you sit there and you're just like, oh, damn, that someone could be this like creative and gifted, and oh. And then it was just like, the other thing. is just like you were drawn to him at the same time as wanting to hate him. Mm-hmm. And he would know how to bring all that attention back to him. And it's just, I was sitting there going, I've got to, I've got to say Chris Jericho. I was like, every single time I came around on my thing, of the two that I wanted to speak Chris Jericho was on both of those lists. So I was like, I need to, I need to say Chris Jericho.
2: It's, it's interesting, when Jericho won in that show, a little bit of history. It was the first uh, WWF pay-per-view to air on Channel 4. He uh, <laughs> had a 98-day run as the champion uh, as well. He was probably of the four people that were in the tournament that night at Vengeance, probably the least likely to win it. Uh, as well. Uh, Alan, do you know, uh, Chris Jericho, uh, all the talent he's got, great in ring wrestler, compared to some of the other WWF superstars at the time, you know, people at the Big Show, who I think was one of his first title defences, he's not anywhere near the size of the stature of some of, some of these guys. Um, how, how much was that a help or a hindrance do you think in jericho's run or runs as as world champion i don't a hindrance. i
1: mean i think first of all it's an incredible pick uh, it really is like jericho's the size of an average guy walking down the street he's like five foot ten and he's like 14 15 stone you know the average guy you see walking down the street so like you're talking earlier like you've seen a heel he you can batter and you look at him going Aye, I could take him, you know, just grab the hair, plumb and boom, that's that. And, you know, that that was what made him so endearing to watch as well. And as I said, he, was, he had smugness in that as well, like how he went on about how the first run of the speed champion, and he beat Austin and Rock and same night, that broken record. Mm-hmm. And he just coming back, and that's what a brilliant heel does. He comes, not just he, sorry, sorry, any heel champion's really good bust of salt repeats the same crap consistently and it just winds people up and you know, the only time I've ever seen Jericho's ever sorry, not, f- not failed but it's not went as flawlessly as probably hoped was he's running as AEW champion because the fans started to do this and it, it's such a good song and it's something that people shouldn't be doing you should be singing the heels that yeah. that's the only thing, I mean he's working in New Japan as well I mean, you actually were sitting wondering, is this a work? Is this legit? Does he literally hate that guy? Or, you know, is this just such a good work? Because he was so well done. It looks so raw and real. Um, you know, the guy's just epic. And scene as, like, you know, the sort of mass size, mad build, I'm quite a large guy compared to a lot of them. So you'd think, nah, maybe no. He used to be a linebacker eh, for a couple of NFL teams. But Jericho's just looks like a average guy, you meet in the pub and you're like I I could take you, like, You know, so I think they gave him a a sense of there's a sense of realism, definitely. I and I think it's better to just a cracking pick. I'm sure Quark can be very proud of you. Yeah.
2: I think it's I think it's a great pick as well, Sarah. I was surprised at the pick because this run this champion I don't think got the best ending to it and there is a school of thought that um, whilst Jericho is hard to compete with them, there were some people that were trying to overshadow him mm-hmm. in this one, and being paired with mm-hmm. Stephanie McMahon, springs to springs to mind. There, um, Dave, um, I wanted to ask you about about that because I think you all know my views on Stephanie McMahon. If we never mm-hmm. se- never seen Stephanie McMahon in television ever again, it'd be far too soon, as far as I'm concerned. There, um, this run is Jericho. You know, he had multiple runs as champion. There, um, what's your sort of reaction to to Jericho's run at this point being on the on the list?
0: I'm uh, well. I'm glad you said list because you know he's the guy that made you the like list that? famous essentially. <laughs> but um, yeah, in all seriousness, I'm really glad Jericho has been mentioned because what really worked for him. Was that he was always able to reinvent himself and mold himself in a way that fits not just with the times but also with his character and who he was associated with the one example i get in particular i mean obviously he wasn't um champion at the time but he did go on to win the united states title a few months after it was during raw glasgow you know him and kevin owens you know they were the top heel duo on raw at the time but he was the one doing most of the mic work and I remember the the opening promo where he talks to the rest of the Survivor Series team, and he was like, "Well, in some ways you can't admire him for you know obviously you know be doing this for Raw etc." But then he he twists it up a little bit and he says, "Look, it doesn't matter if you're stupid idiots." Then the whole crowd cheers, and he immediately responds by saying, "Just like everybody here in Glasgow tonight, you, that's how you know this is a guy who can think on his toes." And he comes off with some really hilarious you know off the cuff remarks so it's not that he's a, like a very despicable heel when he was doesn't matter if he was intercontinental united states or like you know wwe world heavyweight champion he could be the most hated heel on the entire roster but still had a, a sense of humor about it you know like you're going to get it or you're all stupid idiots uh, you're all hypocrites do you understand what i'm saying to you that kind of thing he's just completely demeans the crowd. He makes them feel small. Uh, but he always does it with a little flair of humor at the same time. So you think, actually, I hate this guy, but my God, this guy's entertaining.
2: Yeah, he certainly is. Certainly is that. Thank you, Sarah. Mr David Hartney, let's come mm. to you next. Your first pick
0: oh, this one was a no-brainer for me, particularly as this is when I really started to get into wrestling. And I watched this guy for months waiting for him to lose his championship. And that was the game, Triple H. So I started watching around sort of mid-2004 in the midst of, I think he had just lost his third world heavyweight championship by that point. But I wanted to take a browse back, you know, sort of towards the... 2002 when the championship was reintroduced as the big gold belt of WWE. Like in and around that time (coughs) Triple H was involved in a lot of controversial angles and he was in a position behind the scenes where he was essentially the company's golden boy he he was uh, about to marry Stephanie he had Bischoff in his back pocket he essentially ran Raw ahead of Bischoff and it was like it doesn't matter I can get away with anything I could shoot somebody on the ramp and I would still be world heavyweight champion like because this was when they had the the Katie Vick angle when he was uh, feuding with Kane he ended up unifying the world heavyweight and intercontinental title as a result so it's like he goes out and does this despicable act you know we essentially he glamorizes you know an angle with necrophilia in it and this goes back to what I was saying about you know, there is some overly dramatic elements about it, but you couldn't help but think there was still a little element of realism in the disgusting sort of underbelly of life. And he really exploited that, which to what was a very controversial response with a lot of fans. And if you think that wasn't bad enough, look at, you know, a few months later after we'd regained it from Shawn Michaels at Armageddon. He, his WrestleMania feud was with Booker T. And anybody that remembers that feud knows that that was a feud that was riddled with racist undertones. Like, because he was saying stuff like, you know, maybe you could carry my bags instead, or somebody like you doesn't deserve to be champion. That, like, when you bring racism into an angle, that is so far past the line, it's it's almost uncomfortable to watch at times, and you would not get away with something like that in this day and age. And... So it's these controversial angles that really sort of make me think, right, why on earth is this guy at the top of the the company? Why is he wearing the big gold belt? And after that that humongous nine-month reign in 2003, when he, he does drop it to Goldberg, when he should have lost it at SummerSlam, that's another reason to hate him, just because of bad booking, essentially. Uh, but it wasn't until WrestleMania 21... When he actually, I actually legitimately thought, you know, his reign is actually in, for the first time in a long time, it is actually in danger when he went went up against Batista. And the Evolution run, you know, I was getting so sick to the back teeth. Like, I'm sick of seeing these guys, you know, run roughshod over the roster. It's like the, you know, the rich kid at school who gets absolutely everything he wants. He's backed by his posse and he's wearing the championship and he can get away with murder and not be punished for it. This was like, you know, one of his cronies just turning around, slapping him in the face and just knocking him down a few pegs. And he went, and Batista then went on to beat him another two times. So it really knocked Triple H off his high horse after that feud, but seeing him at the top there, that was a time where I thought, I absolutely despise this character. I despise that he can get away with all this, this like disgusting promotional tactics. And he's still holding the championship. And it makes you just one of those makes him one of those guys that you wish that you just want to get the title off sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. Really good, really good shout, David. Um Sport the Sportster.com had got an article, the list in order Triple H's world title reigns, and this one's number six out of the fourteen on on their list uh, which i thought was interesting and in this story at the time as you say brock les as you alluded to sorry brock lesnar had left uh, he was the undisputed champion he was off to smack them to be exclusive raw didn't have a champion so the big gold belt was introduced it was awarded to triple h and what we seen just after this was obviously amongst all of the stuff you were just describing was rick flair Introduced as uh, as Triple H's manager, Alan. What did you, when you look back at that uh, time Triple H and Ric Flair partnership, how how helpful was that in elevating this? Because this title there was a lot of controversy around it at the time. People didn't think that a championship like that should have just been awarded to somebody. But how helpful was it to have somebody like Ric Flair around with um, with Triple H at this point in time? Absolutely,
1: I mean, again, it's an all-pronged pick. Like, I mean, I think the three picks we mentioned in my opinion so far are the top three of all time for Heels. Mm. Um, I agree, the title shouldn't have been handy the way it was, but seeming you're looking for a prodigy, yeah, you need to believe somebody to mould. There is really nobody better to listen to and follow than Flair, the dirtiest player. I've been there, done it. And you can really see, of course, Center, but you really see it through as one, the mentorship that Flair had. Flair obviously was prepared to play the back role, revolution, Evolution, but really he was a pawn master. He's played them all, you know, and he was so well done. And you can see the times when you, you, you watch some of the promos, you can see Flair like giving him the nod, and you know, when, maybe when he's not talking, let's like, say Randy's talking or he's just talking to me, you know, Flair sitting and giving him some instruction, you can see him reacting, you can see. He took everything one to go, and punch. he was just a big sponge, and he just nailed it. I mean, Triple H is one of the absolute best ever, period. And as a heel, you know, he's, he just gets right under your skin. You you just want to wear them. And what kind of freaks me is <laughs> he cut his hair, he's just spitting image of my father in <laughs> i remember seen my a Love a lot, I'm like, what eh? do H. But, uh, yeah, it's a But, aye, yeah, it's another brilliant shout. Um, it's just, it, I agree, it was really well done. Uh, you know, you know the partnership and the way he just acted. I, I'm not 100% sure about the whole Keaton thing, you know. Oh, you don't miss anything. I've
2: not been
1: told, I mean, at, at this point wrestling was deemed uncool. So, like, my friends and my sort of age got kind of weird away from it for a while, um, but looking back, you see, and I think as well, the Triple H had the most smarmy, smug face, I see when he's in the Harley Race beard during this time, you know, that just annoyed me, just that itself, because it wasn't a complete beard, to see the chin sitting there bald, you know, that used to really fury me. me. That, that seems to be a trend but a lot of wrestling fans We you think especially about Harley Race and now that's from Kenny Omega that facial here, how it just doesn't look like a complete beard it annoys people right especially people who get OCD <laughs> and they kind of that kind of he's channeled into that and went right Harley Race had uh, something blended with Flair and gold and he created a new monster feel. and it's
2: just superb absolutely superb so this this reign, dave uh you know like this reign of terror which some people refer to it as came in like two parts really because he he got the title in september he really, then lost it to Shawn michaels at survivor series but then won it back uh um at armageddon and went to hold the championship for some time then and that's when he goes on you know 280 day reign. Uh, he beats as you alluded to booker t uh, rob van dam he had the, the feud with scott steiner amongst that which included all sorts of s- stupidity such as uh, the arm wrestling and the pose off um as well as lots of stuff going on and that was the original
0: were, uh, big meaty men and beat kind of match uh, wasn't it
2: and the, the second half of that reign that ran from armageddon onwards then the, that was his seventh championship reign at that time. The com rated that as his best title run of the 14. So you got the first part that we were alluding to earlier on, the number six, and this was classed as his best title run. So mm-hmm. really cracking uh, choice there. Um, and amongst this period, Sarah, he took on uh, all sorts of people, as we mentioned there. I even found myself at one point cheering on Kevin Nash because I wanted him, I wanted Triple H to be beaten and to stop being the champion so badly that I wanted Kevin Nash to win. Um, I suppose, to, you were t- touching this earlier on, you want to see them get beat so badly you, you get to a point you'll just take anybody.
3: <laughs> exactly why it is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's when it really, really gets... Yeah, annoyed annoyed when they so it's it's like they'll, they'll either they'll go out and they'll cheat or they'll go out and they'll run away or and then you're just like no no yeah. like no like that's that's the reaction you want
2: absolutely absolutely so great shout david so we've had chris jericho triple h and the Rock corporate champion so far as their suggestions. I'm going to go back in time a little bit and I'm going to talk about Zuna as a uh, championship. So, Yoko, um, his big main, he's of first big thrust into the spotlight is when he won uh, the Royal Rumble. And the Rumble at that time, that was the first time that you got the automatic title match at WrestleMania. And Joko was was nothing like we had seen before. Uh, he was a he was a big man, but a big man who could move and a big man who could wrestle as well. Um, so he, the build up to this match at WrestleMania, uh, absolutely destroyed Hacksaw Jim Duggan and got a, a lot of heat on the back of that from the audience. He was going up against Bret Hart, who. Uh, Brett's my hero so I'm very biased at this point um, here as well Brett looked in real jeopardy Brett looked tiny uh, in comparison to the massive Yokozuna and there was a real doubt of whether or not Brett could even put the sharpshooter on. Yoko and story has it that they actually practiced it there before to see if he could do it or not so Yokozuna won the championship but for some reason, and there's lots of theories about this, that it was agreed that he would lose the championship straight away, and he dropped the title minutes after beating Brett um, to Hulk Hogan. And um, I don't think I don't think that I don't think that done Yokos doing that any any favors, but he did uh, he did win it back. He beat Hulk Hogan uh, at the King of the Ring and he would be a two-time champion. This time, he would hold the belt for a significantly longer period of time. We are in the era with WWF's Big Four that just became the Big Five with the introduction of the King of the Ring. Uh, And his first proper title defense would be against Lex Luger. And Lex, at that point, was on a massive push. People might be familiar with the the slam challenge which took place on the USS Intrepid where all sorts of people tried to slam Yokozuna and then just by chance a helicopter carrying Lex Luger would, would land and Lex at this point turning in face would then get in uh, to the ring and slam Yoko. Uh, story has it, I think it's the Pritchard podcast that talks about this, that it was so hot that day when Yoko used to wrestle barefoot. So he arrived at the ring. He took his flip-flops off, stood in the ring, found the canvas was roasting. Uh, tried to get his flip-flops back on, but at which point Mr. Fuji kicked them away, so he couldn't get his um, get his flip-flops back on. So he continued. Then Lex Luger did this um, tour of America with the Lex Express, and it was all built up for Lex to you know uh, to be the one to end Jokers in his reign. Uh, that was not to be the case. He would then go on to feud with The Undertaker and actually beat The Undertaker in a casket match before it was common to beat The Undertaker in casket matches at uh, the Royal Rumble. Uh, Yoko would hold the title for 280 days before he lost it at WrestleMania 10 to break the Hitman Hart and, as it turns out, he would never actually have another run with the, the championship again. But I think one of the things that made Yoko, uh, uh, for me, I think worthy of mention in this conversation is he was so physically imposing. You believed the babyface champion was in real jeopardy. And when he got the championship, it was going to take something special to beat him as well. At that point, he could work and move, but also he had Mr. Fuji in his corner and he had Jim Cornette, both had heat and Colinette was certainly a talker. So um that's for, for me why I I went for the 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 mighty Yokozuna. Um uh, Dave do you have memories of Yokozuna as uh, as champion or things that you've heard about? There was a fabulous documentary on the WWE network about mm. the life of Yokozuna.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about his WWE career because I would have been about maybe just two years old at the time when he sort of was at the peak of his career. But I do remember him being one of the most physically imposing guys that WWE has ever put out because I think he weighed somewhere between 500 and 550 pounds. And he had that, he was billed basically as a sumo wrestler from Japan, where, funny enough, you know, he was part of the famous anawahi family from samoa so it was a samoan guy portraying a japanese sumo wrestler just because he had the build for it and so when you look back it was a little bit distasteful but then again wwe was very much all about you know trying to have as many foreign heels as possible just to be beaten down by the all-american wrestler draped in red white and blue that being lex luger after after hogan but yeah the what really sort of made yokozuna great again I think it just has to come down to you know his his sheer presence just from his size alone and the fact that he was nimble for a near 500 pounder and you mentioned you know sometimes the manager can be you know just a big a heel target I think mr fuji had that aspect about him as well but yeah. not to the point where it actually overshadowed uh yoko himself because you know again it comes back to just his sheer presence that's what takes center stage but mr fuji was there as almost his supporting supporting assistant essentially just in case he needs to fill any gaps but yeah i think that's actually a, a very very good shout gary
2: yeah alan there's been over over time there's been physically imposing heel champions that let's say are only the best workers so uh, the great kelly springs springs to mind as well um, how important, when we're talking about heel champions, do you think it is that actually it's somebody that that brings more than just that physical presence?
1: Oh, absolutely I mean yeah, Kali's got the physical presence, but he had no, no fear factor, because he was so unstable when he walked, and you know, just like, it looks like a gasp of windows when he knocked over, whereas Yokozuma had the lot. you know he's obviously the size he's got the charisma you know, and then he's amazing. He was so fast for his size, and nimble, and powerful. You know, he was a complete package. Mm-hmm. And you know, when people watch. You watch them because they're not actually walking around, Especially young kids, you literally see fear in their face mm-hmm. and panic, because you know as you said. But heroes we were going to get absolutely literally scorched. Like he by heart was scorched. You know, yeah. uh, and and. It was such a, it was done so well, yeah, it was a bit distasteful. I'm not about the whole I'm having some more playing the Japanese person, but I don't mind how I really get into wrestling about maybe five, six years ago on um, I turned, I didn't actually realise that he was part of the Anor family. I actually thought nobody was Japanese. Um so I mean they adapted to the character very, very well. Mr. Fuji, I mean, the th- he had that physical presence. Like, if you look now, when you talk about Roman Reigns. He has that. He's got a physical presence. That he's built like a shit breakfast, you know. But he you the know, movement. He's, he's finally nailed the charisma. And this time, we want this woman thrown in our throats instead of the face woman. It's like, you know. And you know, Yokozuna had decent matches. Yes, there was a struggle with certain guys because obviously like, you're saying. Bret Hart, had to the hair, so I put the sharpshooter on him, you know, whereas you had Lesnar who wasn't, like, he, this is what the fury about it. You could tell he wasn't fit, he'd do one F5 or one SuperS, and they sweat would be pissing at him, you're not even 40 seconds into a match, and you're like, why are you sweating, like, what, like, pissing sweat on it you shouldn't be, and I always felt Lesnar, one, wasn't fit enough, friends by the Holy Swords matches, Two was just too stuff to do the work. But Yoko, I mentioned, and you've all mentioned, he could do anything, and that's why he's a phenomenal packer. Actually, it's something I've never really considered. To, like, he's one of the best, but he actually break it down and analyzer. it, he's actually a very good show.
2: Thank you, Sarah. The one of the things um, that some of the, the wrestlers we've been talking about tonight have is is phenomenal uh, finishing moves. Can you name a finishing move that you would like to take least than the bonsai drop and having your <laughs> rear end land on your upper chest?
3: I would rather tilt my neck the wrong way, doing <laughs> taking the styles clash.
2: <laughs> Ooh.
0: Right. Well, we'll get to Jeez, the styles
3: style. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Tell you what, wouldn't want more than the bonsai drop, and that's a stink face. The last thing I want to be is uh, up Rikishi's backside.
2: Alan, what what do you think? Would you rather have your your face up Rikishi's backside or your nose in Yokozuna's crotch?
1: I'd rather have my nose in Yokozuna's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think there's, I think I'd rather have the steel set smell a passiony on my face than somebody maybe not wipe that ass properly.
2: <laughs> there's um, there is maybe one finishing move that's more discussed than this and it's the Bastion because finishing move where he kind of like stands over the head and then drops to his knees so he's essentially teabagging his, his opponents <sighs> <laughs> um, we may we will be voting soon on the topic for our christmas special and bashing boogers and <laughs> in the, the running for it is going to be hard to beat the do,
0: do, you remember, uh, do you remember do you remember big veto from velocity when he started wearing a dress yes and his finisher was i think i'm pretty sure he, he wore a thong under the dress and his finisher would be he just stuck the guy he stuck his opponent's head under the dress and basically just shoved him right into his groin essentially like that on its own sounds horrible
2: so folks we've come to the end we've all we've been round the table we've all picked uh, a, what we you know we've all made a case for our great heel champion so we're going to go round the table and we're going to ask for you to, to pick who you think's made the best case for their heel champion but you can't vote for yourself so we've heard The Rock, The Corporate Rock, we've had Yokozuna We've had Chris Jericho, the first undisputed champion who beat The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in the same night. And then with a Triple H with the big gold belt. Uh, David Hockney, who's your vote for?
0: Chris Jericho, because he beat The Rock and Stone Cold in the same night.
2: Sarah Greave, who are you going for?
3: I'm not allowed to say my own, but I would say... I would probably say The Rock, actually. Corporate Rock. What a bad guy.
2: Alamit Lucas, who are you going to vote? Go I vote tactically, I don't
1: want to vote. Uh, and I'll be honest, I think it's got. Uh, because I can't vote corporate rock, and there's an element of racism involved in uh, Triple H's and you I'll fight with Jericho.
2: Jericho. Well, Sarah, I agree you. You get it. Chris Jericho is, our, is who we've picked as the best heel champion. I would have went for Triple H. I thought uh, Hockney made a good case there. So Jericho is, is our vote. I think uh, our vote for the, the best heel champion that we've had, I think our discussion is going to go off in a slightly different tangent now because I'm going to hand the floor over to Mr. David Hockney for his second choice and Dave, I think you've got some strong views on this this guy. See,
0: so he's not exactly the best heel champion in a way, but no, it's no, someone it's... that really got a rise out of me and some would might consider him one of the worst champions ever, but as a heel champion, another case could be potentially made here. Uh, Jinder Mahal in <laughs> 2017. <laughs> So everybody on this podcast knows. That I, yeah, I mm-hmm. was not a fan of Jinder Mahal. This is brand know, new information, David. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news.
1: Oh my god.
0: So Yeah, so what Why I hated about this, it was and it's not, you know, convivial in terms, of, you know, just being a, a good heel character, because in some aspects he was actually quite good you know, getting under people's skins. You know, he was... They they sort of went back to the old formula of being, you know, the foreign Healit centric, because obviously genders of Indian descent. But funnily enough, the most foreign he is, he's he's, he's Canadian. So, (laughs) I mean, still foreign, but uh, that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was... But the problem was, it just sort of came out of nowhere, really. And it wasn't the most captivating in terms of match quality but you just knew right from the off like you people were looking at this and thought no no they're they're being massive wind ups with us there is no way they can justify having a guy with an 80 uh loss record uh go from the verge of uh obscurity and just coming back after being fired uh the first time around to immediately go on to win the WWE Championship. It just didn't make any logical booking sense whatsoever. But I've seen quite a few people compare it, you know, with the rise of JBL after WrestleMania 20. So, like, because he was relegated to the tag team division with the APA, but then he just sort of came out of nowhere beating Eddie Guerrero for the title. This, there were some similarities to this, but the problem was Jinder had never been a former, had never been a former champion in WWE. He was essentially the... The comedy sideshow for the main event being a part of 3MB but in that time he did make a lot of improvements you know he got a better physique he got some backup in the form of the Singh brothers and that's this is where the sort of stable manager aspect comes in because he had this was a a guy portraying himself as a maharaja with his two with his two sidekicks it wasn't you know a manager cutting the promos for the guy because he was doing that himself but his match quality just did not improve he had three matches with Randy Orton one of which was the the Punjabi prison match at Battleground 2017 and I'm pretty sure that's the only time I've ever fallen asleep during a match (laughs) like it was slow nobody could see anything and I get you know there were some rumors and suspicions that they wanted to put the title on him because they've got a massive Indian audience and they wanted the guy to sort of convey that particularly as they were going to go on tour to India in that December Uh, but Triple H has you know has come out and said you know he's always a guy who's worked extremely hard he trains hard very intense about what he wants Uh, but they sort of figured it out for themselves in a way and I think I mean it was good in terms of captivating an audience but for the the home audience you know everybody just wanted to see him lose and it was so frustrating him to see getting three victories over Randy Orton and two victories over Shinsuke Nakamura. And the qualifying match for Summerslam that year was a, and you never thought you'd say this out loud: John Cena versus Shinsuke Nakamura, which is a dream match in itself. The winner faces Jinder Mahal for the title. Like that's just so, that's just so upside down. It's unbelievable. What are you talking about? What?
3: This is a match of dreams, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, it's a match of dreams, but with a... The title match is just like... You know, it should be like Shinsuke versus Jinder with the winner facing John Cena. Like, that's how it should have went. But to think, you know, this guy was on the verge of... To think that this guy was on the verge of facing Brock Lesnar in the traditional Survivor Series champion v champion match, like, it would have been a bigger one-sided squash than, uh, I don't know, uh... Let's say Triple H versus the Hurricane on Raw in 2004.
3: What's wrong with the uh,
2: Hurricane? I love Triple H and the Hurricane's sort of feud because I remember there was an instant in there. I think he was he was wrestling and Ric Flair pulled the mask that the Hurricane put on a kid in the front row. Ric Flair pulled the mask off the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love that. Um, <laughs> aye.
0: But you see, but, that, uh, I think that's more sort of manager heel tactics rather than champion. Heel tactics. But even with the feud, but even with the feud you know, there was still an element of racist undertones. Like, because this was, and I remember Ross mentioned this on a previous show. It was, um, like this was a champion who was claiming racial prejudice after calling a Japanese man Mister Miyagi. Yeah. Like it, it just didn't make sense. Like it was distasteful. It was boring, but at the same time it did its job it got people to really really hate him and i think that's what that was the only saving grace of his heel championship
2: run yeah so i think it's worth putting some of this this into a timeline like we've done with some other ones so randy orton wins the championship from bray wyatt at wrestlemania 33 the following month at backlash he, um he's defending against um against jinder mahal jinder who wasn't even on the main WrestleMania show, uh, was eliminated in the Andre the Giant Battle Royale. did have a big moment in there when that uh, Gronk character got in the ring there. So he wins the championship then. He has a big celebration, which I think is a of moment that got so that was pretty cool when they had the big um, uh, traditional themed celebration uh, on SmackDown. He then Randy gets a rematch at Money in the Bank in the ring, surrounded by legends, including his dad, which he then loses. We've got the Punjabi prison where uh, Kelly makes a return, a very slow return. Um, he survives a cashing attempt by Baron Corbin on SmackDown. He
3: deserved better.
2: Nakamura oh, yeah. was red hot at this point as well. He then, I, I think, this really hurt Nakamura for some time. Then and then, as you said, he lost the uh, final drop the title to AJ Styles in, in Manchester. But Thank it God. felt it felt like Jinder went from nothing to world champion. There was no time for any foreplay, Alan. How important is it to get some foreplay in here and to build and establish? And this person is a serious. Uh, Contender before you ram it right in and stick the title on them. <laughs> 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 no,
1: you, you, you need to warm up before you go full in hardcore. So it, it, was, it was poor. was pure. But the same thing you've got to remember, right? If you take probably Nakamura of because we knew Nakamura and Styles was going to be the main event of Mania. So that was shite. It was absolute garbage at the time, it was like what Raw is now, it was crap, and I understand why they did it, and it, it kind of worked to an extent, the matches were poor, some of his promos did waffle on a bit, quite a bit actually, the point it was maybe on the mic, maybe 10 minutes too long,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but there were successes for, you know, the commercial success, and obviously from a storytelling perspective, yes it came out of nowhere, but look at the names he's beaten. And the way he's been put up to, you know, um, so it's it's kind of in the middle. I wouldn't say he's the worst. He's certainly nowhere near the best, but Dave does make some very interesting points. Um yeah, definitely yeah. I,
3: mean, I got some friction burn from it. So, <laughs> I mean, with all fairness, yes. Because what had happened with Jinder Mahal is that he was pummeled and i mean pummeled by finn balor like not even too long before this before he, like and then next thing he's just like yeah wwe champion and i'm like well what happened there it, it just it felt like you know very very quick and again no foreplay no getting each other ready just we all just got friction burned from that so absolutely
2: yeah, absolutely indeed. Alrighty, so um, I think we'll probably, uh, probably there, I'm, I'm going to get banned from this show, I'm sure. Not <laughs> um, this podcast. Let uh, you host it once, Gary. Oh, <laughs> well, Gary, you're the
3: original
1: DM Sliding Bastard. Yeah, I mean, this, is true. this is true. I mean,
3: I was originally down to obviously host the show and then obviously wasn't feeling up for it, so Gary, you you graciously took my spot. With Ophiris, you're doing a much better job than I could have done for the show
0: so far. This so. is com- coming from the person who made the flaccid comment on uh, the <laughs> Takeover <laughs> Brooklyn.
2: No. <laughs> earlier on, you were talking about something, and I wrote down... Um, well, what was it? Um, I was... Well, it was about uh, storytelling, we were talking about The Rock and taking the time to tell the story and I wrote down premature ejaculation because, because WWE to me quite a lot rush rush stories and don't yeah. take time to show them in the way they did with that The Rock heel turn then and I was so close to saying Sarah tell me about <laughs> i thought I best not but then since hot that me, time i was talking about uh, you know, uh, it since, since brought it up, i thought there you go get in there let's talk about it so sarah uh let's come to you next your next choice are you going for a uh, another great heel champion or are you going to follow on uh, and give us one of your worst heel champions
3: I mean, because I've got a list of like the, the sides of my arm when it comes to good ones. But do I want to talk about a bad one? Do I want to talk about a good one? I mean, as much as I want to talk about the Great Cali's run as the WWE Champion, uh, um, I think we'll stick on a lighter note <laughs> a good champion. Because <laughs> nobody wants to hear about the Great Cali. And how he became WWE Champion. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go for our, another one of my best ones, right? And it is the best in the world, CM Punk. Um, I would say, especially his straight edge society stuff, mm-hmm. was absolutely flawless. I mean, his run um, up to the match with Jeff Hardy as well was tip. Of the iceberg heel yeah. work, and as much as like the fact that it was it was a bit of a rules reversing. And I talked about this on the actual CM Punk show that he was the heel that was trying to push sobriety on people, and Jeff Hardy was the babyface who was the party animal who liked to get drunk and take drugs, which was very very ironic considering you know the message is don't do drugs, mm-hmm. but. It's, it was just everything about CM Punk, even to up to winning the WWE Championship and then leaving right after and blowing that kiss to John Cena, running home and putting the title in his fridge. Because who else is going to do that apart from CM Punk? And I think like it, it it is mainly just that straight edge one that really gets me because again you did you you wanted to. Hate him, and again, it was the same with Chris Jericho. The man could back himself up in the ring, and you're like, God damn it! But again, when it came to like the mask, be ha- um, like the hair, be hair, and mask, be hair, and everything that he had, when obviously he had to shave his head along with uh Serena Deeb and Low Gallows, so it was just again, you just got that comeuppance, and everyone was cheering. But at the same time, you would get folk that would be cheering for Punk because he was just so incredibly over. I mean, now I think it would be incredibly hard to turn him heel as much as he would get away with it and still be spectacular. Because he's been away for so long, everyone's just like, nah, you can't ever be heel." But back then, I can't think of a more hated guy at that particular time than CM Punk. I mean, I know folk would just boo John Cena for the sake of booing John Cena. But the whole the whole thing that he had, and especially again when he was paired with Paul Heyman, was mm. just you have kisses.
2: Mm. I mean, Luke Gallows shaving his head—that's like David Hartman shaving his head. So I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm nearly at that point as well. So you just uh, wait a little bit longer, and you'll get your what? wish.
2: Um, so CM Punk, great show uh, as champion. It's interesting you mentioned Sarah about him. That it would be hard to see him as a heel. But I, I remember thinking the same thing when Daniel Bryan turned into the you know Captain Planet. Daniel Bryan. Uh, I would to believe that he went Planet from a champion. Yeah, Captain Planet was a it was a program when I was a kid cartoon. <laughs> you, should, you should look it up. There's a song about it. Captain Planet, he's my hero. I'm going to see the
0: trees I'm yeah, young, the youngest here, and uh, I actually do remember Captain Planet.
2: Yeah, it was
0: Captain. Not
3: that much younger than me. Dave. Stop
0: team. it. No younger. I had
1: the Captain Planet board game until I moved out. My mum and dad. Oh, do. do
2: you still have it, Alan? No, it's my mum and dad. Oh, uh, can you get it?
3: Oh.
2: So, <laughs> um <laughs> have a laugh. Um, so, um, CM Punk. Um, um, heel champion uh, f- run with Paul Heyman uh, not necessarily he was not somebody that needed a, a mouthpiece either but thoughts on CM Punk as the champion folks? I,
0: um CM Punk You know, he had the gift of the gab to begin with, so I wasn't really sure why he needed somebody like Paul Heyman, but maybe it was just to sort of crank him up to 11 in terms of, you know, being the heel, because on his own, he could invoke a negative reaction like he did with the Straight Edge Society, but he needed support, a supporting act to really sort of drive it home. And this run, you know, he he had his own sort of despicable acts when holding the WWE title, particularly one that stood out was when he was... Mocking Jerry the King Lawler's real life heart attack, like because that was I think that was during a match he actually had when he was teaming with Dolph Ziggler against King and Randy Orton, mm-hmm. and it, the December he came back, uh, I'm pretty sure Paul Heyman had a, a was faking it, like he sort of mocked it in a way, and I thought, listen, this was a real life situation that happened, and when you board when you blur the lines between kayfabe and reality, something like that could you know invoke a very negative reaction but then again wwe's been doing that for a long time and more often than than not they do win the wrestling observer newsletter's most despicable uh, act award uh, year in year out and this got it for 2012 so it's it's moments like that that make you think oh you you bat you're a bastard you know it's it's that kind of thing
2: yeah there were a couple of things he did during this run, Sarah, that you, you never touched on, which I thought were worth mentioning. When he was feuding with Rey Mysterio uh, as well at this point, he interrupted Rey Mysterio's uh, daughter, Aaliyah's ninth birthday party. <laughs> and and then when he lost the match and you know, he, he had his head shaved, he ran about wearing that mask for, for him yeah. uh, <laughs> as well. Alan, have you interrupted any children's birthday parties recently? Uh, I don't want to respond to that. Actually.
3: Save Ollie! Save Ollie!
2: <laughs> so you're not denying it, Alan? I, Save I'm, Ollie!
1: Stop playing <laughs> your balls! Stop you taking them to Ibrox! Poor Ollie. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've never done that as far as i aware. Uh I'll on let you But you
3: know.
2: <laughs> but, hey. you know how great a heel move is it alan for him to put the the mask on and we've seen people do versions of that over the years we had durag mcmahon as well at one point as well deny the fans from seeing the the humiliated heel
0: oh vincent the durag is a was an absolute travesty not to mention (laughs) i think it was i think it it was a year prior or something or 2005 where he said the n-word to john cena and booker t and charmel were literally about six feet
2: away from him yeah that's us let's not go there uh, yeah no, let's not go there um all right well i think we're broken say she's 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 in, she's yeah. at the moment so i Alan,
3: was going to ask something okay. actually just in comparison to obviously like what Dave just said about it just made me think about this um because it's more like a current thing but like obviously blurring the lines it's probably a lot less acceptable now cuz like in when you look at Aew's Mac, Max Caster he does something very very similar in his raps in blurring the lines so i guess it's again it's more just like a difference in in eras i think cuz again cm punk did actually make fun of jerry Lawler's in real life heart attack and max caster has done something very very similar when he's doing his little raps um, so, it just it just made me think there. I was like, wait a minute, he's actually kind of a good heel for being a dick. But everyone's obviously getting on his back. We're taking it too far. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Alan, uh, you round us up here. Um, give us your your second pick. That will be our final pick of of the night. All right.
1: Well, you're saying good or bad. I'm going to do one of this. Um I'm going to go with the mess. Oh. Ooh. Go with the good. So when Miz cashed in money in the bank and became the champion and then the run to WrestleMania 27, I thought he did a fantastic job. I really did. And for all the reasons we mentioned earlier on, you know, the gullible, the it would take the beating to allow him to get the victory or just get the beat to the of the, the team, literally. Um, he had the running, that mentality, like Jericho, he wouldn't want to fight he would do everything he can to get out of um, him his mighty skills were very good not as good as they were now but they were still very very good and I thought for a young guy getting thrown in where at that point Randy Orton was still Punk wasn't at the level he is now there, and Cena was just too big and everyone had to revolve around Cena there really wasn't anyone so if they for shot in the dark my guy can generate a bit of heat and it worked for me I know there's people out there who don't think it did work, it was too early, but I think it did. Um, yeah, the match mentioned in 27 wasn't the greatest, but that peak of view wasn't the
2: greatest. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but his work on the run all the way up was really well done. You know, the little girl who hates the face. Angry of, the girl. You know, yeah, yeah the angry girl. The night he cashed in, that is perfection and heel work, that a child wants you to lift. You tell him that like me last he's looking and going, I want you to die. That is how you get a heel, that is how you become the heel. And he was so good at it. He was absolutely brilliant. And then he's, he's done great heel work, he's a like, continental champion. You know, he's rant and uh, talking smack you know, with Daniel Bryan, he's, and his matches with Daniel Bryan as well. He was superb as that. I mean, he's a decent face when he, he had Flair, you know, kind of work the corner for him. But he, he's always excelled at a heel because he's got a smart face, he just wanted to punch. He's yeah. the arrogant, that must be the most show in WWE, and his garbage. You know, but you still want to watch it because, you know, as Miz, you know he's going to get a kick in the end there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's had some absolute brilliant moments. And then the end of that talking smart one, that's when he's put the title back on him and WWE didn't pull the trigger and then it comes to what I think is the worst one where he's been hot for years and then he's taken a dip, he's won the Money in the bank case by having to beat Otis because WWE feel like they've made a mistake of the Money in the Bank for him to cash in you think okay if he cash in with the hot Business doing a number through, he'll cash in, brilliant tactical work. I'm like, here hey, we go, he's got Morrison, he's doing, for him to lose it, the we following week, and a squash to Bobby Lashley, I mean, I'm just like, that's garbage, you knew he was never going to be a champion for long, but it wasn't long to Mania, I would have kept him as a champion, got him DQ'd, get him into Mania, and he could have a triple threat with Drew and Bobby, and he could have put Bobby over that way, and he could have just you know, and they could have done that angle so much better for me. So I think he had the worst one there as WWE now because he never got to properly show the proper heel that he is because he deserves to be the champion. He's had the worstest career, a solid run. He's done everything the company has asked him, without question, without fail. Whatever he's has been at. B plus movies, so he's doing his side shows, dancing with the stars, so whatever. It is, he's done what I've asked him. And, the guy deserves to get a 1-1 as a proper champion now in his prime and I hope he does get it, but I thought his first run as WWE champion was absolutely brilliant, I thought it was fabulous, they did it really well, perfectly for the team that year as well, young upstart just kind of taking to everyone, surviving John Cena at Mania for then to, when he does get it again, losing it eight days later in a squash man it's just a bit fine
2: yeah I mean the Miz ticked so many of the boxes that we outlined at the very start of this show uh, and at that time we did as well uh, I I also enjoyed his, this first run as as champion Alan uh, I think it was something fresh and different which was needed at, at the time and it certainly elevated the Miz um, I have th- th- often thought that they missed an opportunity to give The Miz a second run with the title a wee bit earlier. I think he should have went on, he should have beaten Shane McMahon at Mania and then went on and challenged the title and it would have been great to see a face Miz take on a heel Daniel Bryan and Mm -hmm. the he could have said the things, you know, everything I had said all along about you were true and we kind of missed that moment. Uh, Sarah, if you had to pick one of the heels we've been talking about tonight to go on Dancing in the Stars with, or Strictly Come Dancing as it's known in this part of the world too, would you pick?
3: Oh, definitely The Miz!
2: Oh, He's like, got some mouse, hasn't he?
3: Oh, he's well, see, it like his most, most recent one, you're just like, this is not fair, right, because he can act, he can wrestle, he can dance, and you're just like, he can kind of sing as well, and you're like, God damn it! And then the fact he's got a beautiful wife, he's got two beautiful children, and a big massive house. Mm. The man has got it all, and you're just like, even if, even if he portrayed that in his heel lifestyle as well. I mean, mm. we didn't even touch on his United States Championship run, like back, back, back in the day,
2: mm. and then
3: his Intercontinental Championship run when mm. he was off filming the Marine films, like bringing prestige back to that IC title. I mean, even as a tag team champion, you know, Dirt Sheet. Miz yeah. is just oh. amazing.
2: There's other things there. You, you you mentioned the Dirt Sheet team. There's the awesome Truth as well, oh, Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a really good one. And the different characters he's played as well. You, uh, the Hollywood A-lister with Mizdow yeah,
3: Mizdo. <laughs>
2: as well. They're, one of the greatest they, tag teams ever. Dave, when you look back to this this initial run, uh, the one that Alan's talking about here, uh, with the Miz as the WWE champion, and obviously he turned spin the spinner belt upside down at this point, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's your reflections on it? How 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 do you look back on this? Do you look back on it fondly or through through your hands?
0: It's it's a tough one because. I just become a massive Miz fan in 2010, especially during his run as United States Champion. His WWE title, while I was chuffed you know, he, that he'd won it from Money in the Bank, you know, he basically progressed from victory to victory throughout the year and this was just the cherry on top. I did feel he was playing third wheel a lot of the time to John Cena and The Rock, but that was through no fault of his own because I don't think he had the full backing of the company behind him even though he was holding the title. I think he had better heel runs when he was a mid-card champion. You know, Sarah mentioned his first United States title run when he truly broke out as a single star and he had that feud with Morrison following off the back of the dirt sheet and he cut that amazing promo uh, when he walked out from the Raw locker room out to the ring and he went on for about 15-20 minutes or so and he just listed, you know, I don't care if you boo me, I don't care if you cheer me, I'm just going to keep getting better and better and this United States title is a justification of all my hard work same can be said you know with the Intercontinental Championship he when Cody Rhodes brought back the the original design it was made for guys who were workhorses guys like Wade Barrett guys like Dolph Ziggler and particularly The Miz who is now not that far off eclipsing uh, Pedro Morales as the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time if he, I reckon he could probably get one more out of there, and I think, given his time off Dancing with the Stars, he could wrap up his feud with John Morrison. Maybe they could have a feud over the Intercontinental title when he comes back. And there's still a lot of potential there for The Miz, uh, you know, despite, you know, being in his forties, having got so much achievement over his tenure as a WWE superstar, I think he still has a lot to give. But primarily, his best heel run is elevating the mid-card titles.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He certainly looks like he's got more left in terms of his career. I'm sure we've not seen the last of him as as the champion. Hopefully, if he does get another run with the championship, we'll see him booked in a more uh, compelling or credible way in the run up to the championship and also as when he is the champion because I think his first reign was, was blighted with defeats on television matches um, there. So um, we'll do a couple of honourable mentions because there's so many people we could have picked to talk about as well that haven't made the cut for tonight. We had um, the Rated R Superstar Edge as a, as a shout that was put out there. I thought Edge in that role was just utterly sensational and what a character transformation we've seen there. He was, I thought he was one of the most uh, interesting things to watch on whatever show he, he was on and some of the things they did there. Uh, I know it's frowned upon, uh, it's probably not the greatest moment, but the live sex celebration, um, you know that for a performer to go out and do that, that takes some guts uh, to do that. And when you was feuding with Ric Flair, and you dressed up and strutted as Ric Flair, the drink driving, yeah, part of it uh, as well. I thought that was great. Sarah, did you want to come in there on edge?
3: Yeah, because like it was, it was the whole thing with the live sex scene. The thing that made you hate him more was the fact that you're just like, damn, he's getting to screw Lita. That's not fair. Like that was another yeah. thing like it's just like
2: damn it not fair Absolutely.
0: now what did it for me was that you know obviously he he basically invented the money in the bank cash in you know get it at the most opportune time you know and that sort of led up with the ultimate opportunist sort of gimmick and every single time he did it he would always get like boos or a negative reaction he did it to john cena he did it to the undertaker as well who just came off the back of a steel cage match Uh, with Batista and you know he may have lost the title just as quickly but he regained it almost immediately with a new dirty tactic like Armageddon 2007 when he first brought out Hawkins and Ryder to play as his stunt doubles that was again a very creative uh, creative decision to do it he had La Familia helping him out against The Undertaker in TLC and he just always came up with something that really I mean it got him to where he wanted to be but he did it with you know a smugness on his face he did it with rage in his heart and then in, and an intensity and a darkness that he just make you think wow this guy is truly truly evil he, and he will manipulate absolutely anything and anyone to get what he wants particularly his big his big play at elimination chamber 2009 where he lost the wwe title in a matter of minutes within the first chamber he takes out Kofi Kingston, inserts himself into the World Heavyweight Title Elimination Chamber, and he ends up winning it. Like, you couldn't be more opportunistic than that.
2: Yeah, he's fabulous. What about Tommaso Ciampa when he became the NXT Champion, not long after his feud with Johnny Gargano? Oh, yeah.
3: that is a gun, like, in terms of being a heel. I wouldn't say it's one of the best ones, but I think just more Tommaso Ciampa as a heel.
2: Oh, um, the you had at that time was sensational, was not it? I know it dissipated yeah. as the the run went on. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it, it it became very, very um, basically just loved by the fans. Like, and you're just like, it was
2: so good, uh, it was yeah. so good Um, somebody who, I mean, her heel turn utterly broke my heart was Bailey, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I think we've agreed on this show before that Bailey was one of the MVPs of the Pandemic Performance Center Thunderdome era what, what about her run is she worthy as a show uh, mentioned in the same category as some of these great heel champions we've been talking about
0: yeah. you know what yeah, absolutely. Like, particularly how she always gets Michael Cole's face as well. And it was a complete U-turn to, you know, being the very sort of kid-friendly character she was in NXT. But whilst we're on the subject of NXT, I'd actually like to throw out Shayna Baszler as a heel champion. Yeah. Like, you know, on Raw, you know, she's not portrayed as the person she once was in NXT, but I think we're starting to go back in that direction with her taking out Nia Jax and Ava Marie as of late. But her run on NXT was so dominant and it wasn't to the point, you know, where you you hate her for her tactics. I think you just hate her because of the way she just brutalized people and physically hurt people. Like and it took somebody it took a once in a a lifetime talent like Rhea Ripley to really knock her down a few pegs. So that was yeah, I think I think Shana is definitely worth a shout as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've got two old school ones that were suggested um, Brett the Hitman Hart 1997 run as um, uh, uh, the Canadian hero and also Mr. Perfect as the IC champion in 1991 1991
0: Oh um, yeah, the, is that, was, was that the big 64 week lengthy reign? Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed.
2: So there, I'm sure there's so many more of them but folks, I think that brings us to the end of our time together, I hope that everybody listening to this show has enjoyed our discussion and deep dive into these great heel champions and enjoyed the fun and the jokes we've had at the expense of some of the less great heel champions. We hope you will join us on our feature show again next week where we're going to be talking about Randy Orton a profile piece there, um, and Randy's name's come up a couple of times tonight, so just on that note, let me say a thank you to our panel. Sarah Grave, thank you so much.
3: Ah, Thank you, I really enjoyed this one.
2: Thank you. David Hockney, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I echo what Sarah said, it was a good discussion. And Alan McLucas, a huge thank you to you too. Thanks very much, thank you. Enjoyed it, it's been a great show. Thank you so much. Do check us out again here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Jack Graham. I am
0: Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us most in one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can share in every Saturday to find out who
1: on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Saturday Draft. As always, you can catch
0: Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.